you to the worship team. Trust your hearts were stirred up by that. Um, we've started a, a series through Genesis, and I want you to notice the tagline there, it's where faith and life intersect. So how does uh, where we are living and our faith intersect, and, and Genesis certainly gives um, us some perspective on that. So what I want to talk about this morning is, to me, uh, a question that has helped me massively uh, in my own walk with the Lord, and simply this question, what's really going on? What's really going on? Um, uh, about, must have been about five or six years ago, uh, I was, uh, for the first time, introduced to the course I was talking about a little bit early on, the Living Free course. One of the things that's really excellent about the Living Free course is it causes you to ask this question, what's going on in the realm that is invisible that we can't see? So we need to recognize this morning, because it's invisible, doesn't mean it's not real. The invisible realm is just as real as what we can see here. And, and this course, in this course, one of the questions you're taught to ask is, what's really going on? Let me give you an example of what I mean. Is this just a difficult situation that's happening? Or is there something more that's going on? That's what I mean. Is a strained marriage just one of those things that people go through? Or is there something more that's going on? Why, why does selfishness and division rise up in the church? By the way, you know that happens in churches. But think about this for a minute. We, for those of us who know the Lord, we are believers. We've been born again of the Spirit. God is at work in our lives. And even amongst us, division and selfishness can rise up. What's going on there? Is a, is a persistent lack of joy and zeal merely a personality thing? You know, you get some people that are positive and some people that are negative. Is a persistent, something like that, that's going on all the time, is that just a personality thing? Is bad health just something that happens? Are wars and famines just happening? Some questions we need to ask in the world that we live as believers. Let me give you two quick examples of that this morning. How many of you remember Job? Probably one of the, I've heard a lot of people say I'm going through a Job experience. Trust me, you're not. <laughs> but I want you to think, at face value, Job, would you say, was having a really bad run in life? Like lost all of his, his means or, or his business. He, uh, he loses some family members. His children die. If you didn't have the book of Job and if you didn't know there was more to that than meets the eye, you would have said, wow, what a bad runner person is having. But when you go behind the scenes and you begin to read the behind the scenes story of what is unseen, you will discover 
There is an enemy that had one goal. He wanted Job to deny the Lord. What about, um, there's a story in, in 2 Kings. I think it's about chapter 6. We've, we've, people have shared this from time to time when we've been doing worship. But do you remember there was a, the situation where Elisha was one of the Old Testament prophets. And he had a servant who used to accompany him. And they were in a city by the name of Dothan. And the, uh, the servant woke up one morning, and you know those days for protection, the city would have a wall around it. He get, gets up, has his cup of coffee, and as he has his cup of coffee, he looks over the wall, and the city is surrounded by an army, and the army wants to capture Elisha and his servant. And his heart sunk within him, Fear rose up within him. He rushes to Elisha and he says to Elisha, have you seen what's happening this morning? And Elisha, being a godly man and a prophet, knew exactly what to pray. He said, God, why don't you just open this man's eyes for a minute so that he can actually see what's going on. And God does that. God answers that prayer. And suddenly for a moment in time, the servant of Elisha sees the armies of heaven. And he makes the statement, more are those who are for us than those who are against us. But here's the thing that gets me. Once he had seen in the unseen, his attitude towards the seen changed. The man who was fearful the man who was convinced he was going to be taken captive, the man who was convinced that my day has come when I bite the bullet, suddenly he says, we're okay, God's with us, and we're going to have a victory. And in fact, their whole approach to the situation changes where they begin to pray that God would blind the, the army and, 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 and all of that, and I don't want to go into the rest of the story. But do you see how a shift happened because somebody was seeing the unseen rather than just the seen. That makes sense to you? Now, when we come to Genesis chapter 3, because that's really what I want to dive into this morning, we've got, we've got a little bit of a, a perspective of what's happening behind the scenes. And, and as we begin to dive into Genesis chapter 3, we discover that there is an enemy that every one of us has, and we can go to the next slide. And we need to take the activity of the enemy very, very seriously. Now, may I say, I think there are two things we need to be careful of as the church. Number one, don't downplay this. This is not a fairy story. It's not a myth. It's just not something that's been put together so that we've got this kind of little fairy tale so that we can explain what's happening in life. This is real stuff. Guys, the devil is real. He's as real as you sitting here. And he doesn't dress up in a red suit with horns on. In fact, the Bible tells me he comes as an angel of light. So that's the one thing we need to be careful of. The other thing we need to be careful of is we don't live in fear and trembling. Because I, sometimes Christians, when they talk about the enemy, they talk about it like, whoa, we better be careful here. Friends, not whoa, we better be careful. Whoa, he better be careful. 
Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know you're seated with Christ in heavenly places? Do you know the power of the enemy is broken? Do you know that you have the authority in the name of Jesus? And I'm tired of hearing Christians pray in the back foot instead of praying as though we are sons and daughters of God. So what we discover in Genesis 3, and I'm making a bit of the sermon up as I go along just for what it's worth. But, but in Genesis 3, you've got, a, you've got this picture. Of, just think about it for a minute. God has made everything perfect. Perfect world, no sin, no brokenness, no heartache, no shame. He's created Adam and Eve in his own image, magnificent creatures like you and me. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that you're created in the image of God? I know when you look in the mirror, you don't think so, but trust me, it's true. And suddenly, in the middle of this, we discover there's, there's this creature. And as he opens his mouth, you know what happens? Doubt begins to rise. He starts to stir up doubt. And I'll tell you the two areas he raises doubt. Number one, the character of God. You've heard that statement, God is good, and God is good all the time. He began to suggest God is not good. And I want to tell you, one of the primary areas the enemy targets in our lives is to give us a false perspective of God. And the other one is this. You can doubt what God says. And I still see that playing out. And there's the scripture for you. And for time's sake, I won't read that through, but it is there in the Bible, trust me. But he doesn't stop with stirring up doubt. I want you to notice he goes a step further. He begins to suggest that disobeying God might seem beneficial. And if you look at Genesis 3 and verse 5, and I think it's on the, maybe on the next slide, but, but let me read it. For God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be open and actually you'll become like God, knowing good from evil. And all I want to say is that every one of us here should expect that we will encounter the enemy in one way or another. It's a done deal. Adam and Eve did. Jesus did. The early church did. And we will. Here's the question. What's going on here? That's why there is a number of scriptures, and I won't dwell on them, but Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Why does he say that? Because it appears as though our battle is against flesh and blood. Have you ever liked that person or that situation or look what they've done? Have you ever come across that? What's really going on here? Well, what about uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11? Satan comes as an angel of light. Very interesting compared to the way the comic books portray him. Not as a guy in a red suit, but somebody quite religious who says things that are acceptable. Peter reminds the persecuted believers, be self-controlled and alert for your enemies on the prowl. Guys, this was written to Christians, not to people in the world. And Jesus himself said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. What's his goal for your life? Steal, kill, and destroy you. None of those words are good words, by the way. 
And the way that the devil goes about that is always through lies and deception. Have you noticed something? I just want to, for you to ask a few questions. Have you noticed how the media is portraying Satan as somebody harmless? How many of you have heard of or seen the program The Good Witch? I didn't know witches could be good, but now we've been told they are. What about what culture is beginning to say about God, that God is behind all the suffering and pain in the world because he allows it? Have you, has anybody ever asked you that question, by the way? Have you heard that somewhere? Now, why does God? It's like God is to blame. Or what about the fact, well, you know, don't take sin seriously, not a big deal, you know, it's, nothing's going to come out of it, don't worry too much. But I'm reminded of what of what Paul said to the Corinthian church, we are not unaware of these schemes. We know what's going down here. Do you, do you remember what Paul said to the Ephesian church? He said to them, don't let the sun go down on your anger and in so doing what? Give the devil a foothold. He's writing to believers. In other words, he's saying to believers, it is possible for you as a Christian in the way that you behave, in the attitude you have, in the unresolved issues to give the enemy a foothold in your life. And I don't have time to develop that. All I need you to know is that's true. The enemy's for real. He didn't stop in the garden. He's still here today. But I want us to just move on a little bit because it's important to see the way that Adam and Eve respond to their disobedience, to respond, the way they respond to, to their sin. And, and the reason I want to point this out to you today is because we still do the same thing. We respond in the same way. So if I see myself responding like them, I need to ask myself the question, what's going on here? Why am I doing that? You see, we often, uh, we're happy to interrogate the out there, but what about us interrogating what I'm doing? And why am I doing what I'm doing? You see, it's hugely helpful to know why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I'm doing that because it gives me a clue to what's going on behind the scenes. Remember I said that the, that the enemy comes as an angel of light, which means the way in which we experience him is going to seem as though he is harmless and, may I suggest, even a little bit spiritual. But can I say to you this morning, the root cause of all brokenness, division, fear, and shame is the enemy. I am... Um, a little while back, I think maybe it had been the end of last year, I was in a time of prayer and I was just praying through things. And as I was praying, God, and you know, I, what, what I try and do for myself, I hope you do it as well. Say, so Holy Spirit, just show me if there's anything sitting in my life. God says to me, holding, you're holding unforgiveness, onto unforgiveness. I said, what? You're crazy. I'm the pastor. I don't do that. And, and God's showed me, he said, John, you're sitting with unforgiveness and resentment. And so I said, Lord, show me how. 
And, and God began to show me how a particular situation and the way that I'd begun to reason through it, I had begun to justify unbelief. Not unbelief, sorry, unforgiveness and resentment in my heart. So you know what happened? I was living, feeling justified, holding that in my heart. It was okay because of the way that I reasoned it out. And you guys do exactly the same as me. We get, somebody does something to us, somebody says something to us, something goes wrong, something happens in the life of the church, boom, big explosion, and then we say, now I'm justified feeling the way that you do, that I do. Oh, no, you aren't. Isn't that the, the, the lie of the enemy that he comes to us so that we will justify our own sin? And what happens when we are living with sin? There's a knock-on effect. It affects others. It affects your family. It affects your perspective of reality. Everything begins to be affected when we embrace sin and say, we've got a right to do that. That's called the deceiver and the deception of the enemy. Let me, let me just read to you one verse. It's not going to be on the screen, but it's in Matthew chapter 5. It says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has anything against you. Did you notice the way that that's put? It's not saying if you did something wrong. It says that if your brother's got... That's, I know that somebody else is holding something against you. It says... It does not go on to say, ignore it, it'll go away in time. It says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And I just want to add a rider to that because I'd love to develop that. The point is, as far as possible, be at peace with all men. Sometimes you can't. But you need to have made that attempt as a believer. And so... That's how it works. And, and, and there are, when, when, when Adam and Eve begin to respond now to what they've done, there's a few things, and I've put the words on the screen, so I'm hoping that visually they'll sit with you. The first is they attempt to cover up their sense of shame. Can we go to the next slide, please? There's, there is an, a cover-up. What are they doing? So they become aware now that they're naked, so they get some leaves Everybody talks about the fig leaves and they sew them all together. And so they start to cover up their shame. They are now ashamed. They, they're exposed. They feel vulnerable. They're full of shame. I want to ask you a question this morning. Why is it that previously they were naked and they felt no shame? Now that they sin, they're fully ashamed of their nakedness. What's happened? Why does that happen? I'll tell you why. Because sin brings a distorted perspective of reality. When we carry sin in our lives, we begin to interpret things other than the way God wants us to interpret them. That means if there's stuff that I've got that's unresolved in my life, I want to guarantee you I'm going to start having a distorted perspective of other people and reality around me. That's the first thing they do. The second thing they do is they start blaming other people. By the way, I'm just telling you this so when it happens to you and when it happens to me, we know what's going down. It's the answer to the question, what's going on here? And I've explained to you how it happened to me, and I 
don't need to go any further. You know how it's going to happen to you. You will blame other. I want to guarantee you're going to blame other people. My wife, my husband, that person, and this, my boss. Now, I'm not saying they haven't done something wrong. What I am saying for you to embrace sin and justify it by blaming other people is wrong. That makes sense to you? And so we need to recognize what's going on in our lives. And the first, the, the last one, is that they start hiding from God. Now, you remember they, they're hiding and God's calling, Adam and Eve, where are you? Like, we used to hang out together, now we're not. And they're no longer comfortable being in God's presence. And I asked myself the question, what's that look like now? I'll tell you what it looks like. We start avoiding other believers. We don't want to come in a place like this and have church together. It's an uncomfortable space. We no longer feel... And then, of course, we justify it all. Well, somebody was this, or the worship wasn't nice, or I don't like the preacher, or whatever it is. But you need to ask yourself the question, what's going on here? We stop communicating with God. Stop praying. We're embarrassed to admit what we've been up to. We no longer desire to spend time with God. That's what happens. But then the last part of what I want to touch on this morning in Genesis is that there were, and it's the, probably the most difficult part of Genesis, is there were consequences to this. And I want to spell that out today because often we divorce consequences, what's happening from our behavior and attitudes, what's going on in our lives. And what's interesting for me is Adam and Eve had no clue what was going to go down after they ate that fruit that was forbidden. But I think the, the key thing for me is that we need to know that whenever we are deceived and when we are caught out and when we begin to believe something that's not true, it affects our behavior. And when our behavior is affected, there are consequences. I, I mean... One of the things that I hold on to quite strongly is I can't control somebody else's life, but I'm supposed to be in charge of mine. If every one of us seriously dealt with the stuff that we are carrying, we'd have far less problems right across the board. We're all so busy trying to fix each other that we've lost sight of what's going on in our own lives. That's genuine. Nowhere does God tell you ever to try and fix somebody else, just pray for them, love them, and walk with them. But you need to fix you, and I need to fix me. And I need to do that when I know what's going on in my life. And here's the issue that's, that's frightening. Adam and Eve, because of what they did, came under a curse. And, and I know believers don't, like many people, ah, how can you have a curse? Let me say to you this. God spoke a curse over what they had done. It affected marriage. Would you say marriages are in trouble today? It affected their relationship with one another. Instead of a couple totally united, they started to blame each other. 
they started to look for reasons for their behavior. Well, the devil did it, and the woman you gave me, she did it. And you start to see this begins to happen, and the consequences and the outworking of this is this curse, and it affects uh, marriage, it affects childbirth, it affects the earth, it affects uh, their, their relationship with God. It affects everything. In fact, the most tragic part of that curse is they're going to die. I mean, that's heavy stuff. And I won't go through the verses. They are. I hope you've been reading them while I'm talking. How many of you have heard that, uh, that scripture that says the wages of sin is death? Some of you heard it? One or two. That's good. Some of us know. And I think, I want to be careful in saying this, I think we have overemphasized that at the expense of the fact that Jesus did not only die in our place for our sin, Jesus died to break the power of sin over us. That makes sense to you? Jesus died to break the power. It's in Romans 6, if you want to read it. I don't have time now. He, he broke the power of sin to deceive us, to have an effect on us, on our relationships, on our identity, on the way that we perceive things. Jesus came to break the power of sin. Amen. So Genesis, what it does, chapter 3, it puts things into perspective. It says that we, it tells us we're going to encounter the enemy in different ways. Here's the good news. Because Genesis 3 is about some good news. Jesus always comes to bring good news. Here's the good news. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's like, come on. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Not because you feel it, but because God said it. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Be intentional about recognizing the lies and deceit that you've got caught up into. The devil's primary tool is lies and deception. And then, and here's the word, repent of that. Now, can I for a moment just say to you, Repentance is not just about a change of behavior. It's about a change of mind. What we've got to do, we, our behavior will not change as long as we believe a lie. I've said this once before. Let me say it again this morning. The lie you believe becomes the truth you live by. Make sense? The lie we believe becomes the truth that we live by, live by. And so what's so important is not just what's happening here, but what do I need to change in my thinking? What do I need to change about what I believe? And that's where repentance comes in, because the word repent primarily means to change your mind. And here's the truth. Once you believe the truth, you'll start to live the truth. Your test of whether you believe the truth is how you live. Remember that in Christ, 
we've overcome the enemy. In Christ, we've overcome the enemy. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Do you know the word dominion means to have control over, to rule over? If you're a believer, you've been rescued. That's what Jesus did for me and he did for you. And every time we choose to obey God and believe God and listen to God and trust God, we resist the devil. The devil, resisting the devil isn't a weird thing that you do. It's a very simple thing. It's when I choose God's way above his lie. You know what happens? I resist. I stand firm against the enemy. And I'm done. But we've got a scripture. Can I get that last scripture, please? I want to leave you with that this morning. Here's the ministry of Jesus. Came to proclaim good news to the poor. That's why the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. He wasn't talking about people being locked up for their crimes. He was talking about people in spiritual bondage because of the lies they believed. Recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at the last verse. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled. Friends, it's not about to happen. It has happened. Jesus has come so that we can be free. Now I want to leave that with you this morning. Will you remember the question, what's going on here? Or if you'd like to learn a little bit more about it, sign up for the Living Free course. How's that for a good program? (laughs) But seriously, since I learned the truths that are in the Bible, not only for me to be free, but to stay free, it's transformed my life. You want to hear about that, sign up. And I really mean that. I'm not just trying to promo the course. It is fantastic. So with that in mind, I want us to finish off around the table. And those who who are going to be uh, serving communion with me, I would like to ask you if you can come to the table. And I think probably one of the most powerful things we want to do this morning is finish off with communion. I'll tell you three things that communion reminds us of. Number one, his body was broken for us. Number two, his blood was shed. Number three, we are his people. Will you remember that? It's him, it's him, and it's his. That's what the table's all about. So we're going to pray this morning. Um, I'd like to just read to you that Paul's words to the Corinthian church to remind us. And it's important that as we pray... And uh, Tracy and Eugene will pray for us in a minute. Just to remember the significance of the table. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is broken for who? You. Us. He died for you. 
He died for me. That's awesome. Because Jesus knew what was happening in the unseen realm. And when he knew what was happening on the unseen realm, he, it wasn't just Roman soldiers putting nails through his hands. It was Jesus dying in your place so that we could be free from the enemy. That's what Paul is saying over here. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. My blood shed for you. New covenant. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are doing something. We're going to do something as we, as we share this meal. you proclaiming his death. you proclaiming his victory. you proclaiming that he's your savior until he comes again. Amen? All right, so let's bow our heads and pray. We're going to pray for the bread. We're going to pray straight after that for the cup. You'll be served with both together. And uh, we want to finish this remembering Jesus. I want you to not just remember Satan. I want you to remember the Savior. I want to finish on that note. So let's bow our heads and pray.